Good morning, Grace Covenant Church. What a song to introduce us this morning uh, to the book we'll be singing, or singing, book we'll be reading this morning. We could sing it. Um, but what a way to just start off by, by reminding ourselves of the truths of who we put our hope in. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, it is the Lord our God who is our anchor, who is our refuge, who is our salvation. What a beautiful thing to be reminded of this morning. If you will open your Bibles, not to a psalm, but to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have a pew Bible, uh, the Bible in front of you, uh, it would be found on page 927. So please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now I want you to think of something that I I don't think will be too hard for you, being Texans, uh, but I want you to think of lightning and thunder this morning. Um, I know as a, as a California transplant, I thought I understood lightning and thunder until I heard it here, and it was terrifying. Um, coming through a Texas thunderstorm, you really realize what lightning looks like and what thunder sounds like. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this, and I'm sure it's been a, a sermon application before, but energy from lightning channels heat through the air that, that gets to about 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This is hotter than the surface of the sun. And this, is ca- this causes air to explode outward. This huge pressure in, the, in this initial outward shock wave um, decreases with increasing power uh, or with increasing distance. And within 10 yards or so, it's become small enough to be perceived as the sound we call thunder. And really, this thunder, we can hear up to 25 miles, is what somebody says, and even further, um, as you, maybe with your kids, count 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, boom, right? And you hear that loud crash of thunder. Now, this morning, I want you to think about lightning and thunder, about this beautiful flash of light, and then this huge sound that sounds forth. Because what we see in that is really an example of how the gospel goes out specifically with the church in Thessalonica. Now, this morning we are going to see 1 Thessalonians broken up into three different sections, and I hope to help you walk through it really well. We're going to see in verse 1 is the introduction. Verses 2 and 3 is going to be a prayer of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And then verses 4 through 10 are going to be the body of what we're going to be studying this morning, the power of the gospel and the church sounding forth. So with that, let us jump into the word of God. The first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. 
because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned from God, from, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hear the word of God. Now, this morning, I, I must tell you, 1 Thessalonians is one of my favorites. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is hard to say that by any book of the Bible, right? You should be saying they're all your favorite. Um, but I have a, a, an affinity to 1 Thessalonians. And really what we see from the 1 Thessalonians, this, this letter that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy wrote, um, when we see this letter, we see kind of the blueprint. It's funny that uh, Pastor Dennis was talking about this even in his pastoral prayer, but we see the blueprint of a church plant. We see the blueprint of what a church plant does. We see how God uses new plants to sound forth the gospel. And as maybe you would compare them to uh, the Corinthian church, you see the church that needs the most help, and then you, need, you see the church that needs the most encouragement, right? We, we see the Corinthians, oh man, they are getting into trouble. And we see the Thessalonian church, oh man, you guys need to be encouraged, keep doing it. Keep going, keep doing the things that you're doing. So let's jump into these three sections this morning and see what the Lord has for us. I want you to take note of two things in the introduction, just this brief first verse. I want you to see the audience. When we see that this book or this letter is addressed to the church, to the church of the Thessalonians, this letter is written not to an, an, an individual, that was hard to say, not to an individual, but to a body. This was written, written to a corporate body of believers. Okay? Another thing we need to understand is that this church is a group of likely Gentile believers. So with a lot of our letters, we see that, that Paul um, is writing to a group that are, are Christians, maybe have turned from um, being Hebrews, right? The book of Hebrews. Um, but they have turned from being um, Jewish to following Christ. But here we see um, a, a, an address that is most likely to a group of Gentile believers. And we see that because we see how Paul says that they have turned from idols to the one true living God. Now, what's really interesting is that if you go to Thessalonica today, which is in modern day Greece, you can see that the idols are still living and well. We went, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of going some years ago, and we got to tour Thessalonica, and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous, and they, they walked us through one of the temples there, and, and still a foundation was laid for one of their idols, 
that they had been worshiping. There was a part of an idol that was still erect, was broken, praise be to God, um, to show the folly of these dead, not living gods. Um, But they were still, you could tell how much effort, how much time they put into this right next to this this large um, amphitheater that was used for athletics, a gymnasium, um, which is coincidentally an idol that we share with the Greeks, um, our idol of sport. Um, But you can see that this culture was wrapped around this idol worship. So it's, it's a good idea to believe that this was a church who had once been steeped so deeply in idolatry and worshiping false gods, and now have come to to follow Christ. So beautiful. The next part I want you to see, which um, may throw you for a loop, is that in the greeting, we see that it's not from Paul. And uh, I I just want you to see that it's from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And now we can say, okay, but Silvanus or or Silas, a member of the Jerusalem church in the beginning, uh, he's used to be a scribe for Paul later on. And and we understand that because Paul will say, Silvanus or Silas was writing this for me. But here we see in the greeting, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. These are the authors of this letter. We'll see that we hear them saying we instead of I. Now it'll go back and forth, but for the most part, it is a we. It is these three talking to this church in Thessalonica. And and maybe that's weird to hear because we're so used to saying Paul wrote much of the New Testament, and he did, and he certainly authored this too. But there are two other people. And I got to confess, you can hear a a humbling story of your pastor as I uh, was in my fourth year of Greek. I was one of those cocky seminarians. Oh, I've got it all under control now. I'm in my fourth year of Greek. I've studied so hard. And here comes one of my my favorite professors, and he walks into class, Clint Arnold, and he's about to teach this class, and he goes, okay, first question, who wrote the letter of 1 Thessalonians? And all of us are like, got this, Paul, and everybody, Paul, 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 everybody's saying Paul, right? And he just stops and he's like, you guys are in your first or fourth year of Greek and you haven't even read it. He's like, there are three authors here. Wake up. It's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So I just want you to hear that. It's okay. It's okay to know that there were these three uh, writing this letter. Now, we have this um, introduction or greeting that they give to um, this church, grace to you and peace. And we see this as a repetitive introduction to many of the letters that are written to the churches that grace to you and peace. Just a beautiful introduction. But then they dive in to this prayer. And it is so beautiful. And I want us to think about it for a little bit. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly constantly mentioning you in our prayers. He goes on to say, remembering before our God, the Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see all of this that they're praying about, but in the very beginning, the beginning of their prayer is that we give thanks to God. Oh, that we would slow down and just give thanks to God for what he has done. You were able to travel here this morning. You were able to to sit down and hear God's word read aloud. You, Lord willing, will be able to make it to the end of the sermon, and you will be able to take the Lord's Supper. 
You've been able to sing songs as a, as a corporate group. Give thanks to God. Even in our call to worship, we give thanks to God. We sing with thanksgiving. We are always thanking God. And that should be really how we begin our prayer. Now, I want you to think about this because then they, they go on to say, always we give thanks for God. Always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So what Paul is doing is he's saying that he is, is remembering this entire church. Now, if you looked at our church, you would say, man, that's a lot of people to remember constantly in all of my prayers. That's a lot. It is. And that, friends, is what your elders are supposed to be doing. We don't always do it perfectly, but that's what we are supposed to be doing as one of the things that elders are called to do to or for a body. We are called to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. So you can encourage your elders, hey, don't forget to always be mentioning us in your prayers, always, because that's something that we are actually called to do. But I want you guys to see this as well. And you might not remember everybody, but you'll remember certain people that God places on your mind to be in prayer for throughout the week. Thank God for those people. Constantly mention them in your prayers. Remember their prayer requests. Remember their struggles. Remember the things that they are telling you about how God is moving in their life and give thanks to God. As Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy give thanks to God always, constantly mentioning them in their prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What we're going to see here is not only just a, a, a beautiful Trinitarian unpacking. Um, we see God the Father mentioned, Christ mentioned, and later on the Holy Spirit is brought up in his power. So we see the Trinity even being brought up er, in this early letter to the Thessalonian church. But we're seeing that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are remembering these people as they have changed. What they came from, to what they are now. And we get this triad. Maybe, maybe you've seen this before. Maybe 1 Corinthians 13. Take a note. 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Go back and, and read uh, the chapter of love, right? And remember how it ends. It ends with these three things. Faith, hope, and love. And what is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy saying? We remember before God your faith, your hope, and your love. Well, what do these three things point to? It points to a transformed person, a person who is no longer, again, as Dennis said, in the kingdom of darkness, but someone who has been brought into the kingdom of light. And that is why we can read this phrase, work of faith, and not get freaked out and not say, what? Are they saying that this is a, a works-based righteousness? No, 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 no. They're saying we're remembering as you are transformed, as you are made a new creation, we are remembering your work of faith. Remember, James tells us that faith without works is dead. Faith actually produces works that we would want to follow after God, want to do those things that he has called us to do out of faith. So this, this work of faith is really um, something that you do because of what God has transformed in you. And then this labor of love, now, what is he talking about here? Or what are they talking about here? What they're talking about here, I'm gonna mess that up all sermon long. That's why I wanted to point it out to you in the beginning so you can call me out on it at the end. 
But this labor of love is, is actually pointing to the one anothering. He's saying, we could see in you. We remember your labor of love. Now notice the qualifier to love. Everybody, all of you, hear this. The qualifier to love is not magical. It's not easy. It's not rainbows and butterflies. What is it? It's labor. It's hard. This is not easy. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's saying, I have seen in you as a church that you guys labor to love one another. It's hard work to love each other. I'm a sinner. It's hard to love me. Ask my wife. You're a sinner. It's hard to love you too, okay? So right back at you. But when you are getting into conflicts with one another, when you're upset, it happens. When you get angry, when you are, are, are sticking up your nose at somebody or, or whatever the case may be, you know it, right? You, you, you've experienced these things. It's a labor of love. It's not easy. And what Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are telling us is that a transformed heart is a heart that labors after the love. It works after that love. So when that person offends you and you don't want to and you would rather just avoid, no, go. That is the labor of love. And that is a beautiful thing, and that's what makes us different. It makes us so much different than the world around us. And then the third thing is the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. So this hope is a steadfast hope. It's a preserving hope. It is, and remember that word, um, when we think of steadfast love in the Old Testament, that's that covenantal love. Right? We come to the New Testament, it's similar. It's this, this promise, it is this wanting to hold steadfast to this hope of our Lord Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath that is coming. And he's saying, we remember seeing these things in you and how beautiful that was. So friend, this is the fruit of a transformed life. John Stott um, a, a, a prolific author and an apologist, really, um, states this. He, he said, Faith is directed towards God, love towards others, both within the Christian fellowship and beyond it, and hope towards the future, in particular, the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Similarly, faith rests on the past, love works in the present, and hope looks to the future. And then, John Calvin, not to be outdone um, by John Stott, um, gives a very brief definition of these three things, of faith, love, and hope. He says that a brief definition of true Christianity. He's saying those three things. And in fact, the, the whole quote there from, from the First Thessalonians, we see uh, your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Calvin says that is a brief definition of true Christianity. So we are seeing how this missionary journey goes out to the Thessalonian church, right? And I don't know if you've read Acts, but go back and read Acts this afternoon uh, while you're eating with your family, uh, even at lunchtime today. Pull out Acts, read it, and you see what happens while they're in Thessalonica. They get swept away by a mob. I mean, it's crazy. It's so cool to read the Bible and see how it's interacting with one another. And, and they're saying, when we were with you, before we were swept away because of, um, I believe it was the Judaizers rallying people to, to, to try to come and to get them, we, we remember how you were working 
uh, that your faith produced this work, how you were laboring to love one another, and how you held steadfast to that hope, are saying, we remember that you were born again. And then that's where we get to our next section, okay? So that's just a prayer. Now, some, some scholars will say that this whole thing is a prayer. I think we see a, a movement from a prayer to what he's going to encourage the Thessalonian church with. And encourage does he do, okay? So we see in verses four through 10 now, he, he mentioned their faith, love, and hope. And now he's going to expound upon that to them. This church who, who saw them swept away, he's gonna say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna remind you of what God did in your life. We are going to see the power of the gospel to change. And so we see four, we know brothers loved by God. We just have to stop. For we know brothers. Brothers, that's a, a, a word that is, is being used to remind them that they're Christians. We know brothers. We know that you're Christians. Don't you think that's important to be reminded of that? You know, we sang this song, Lord from, from help me out, Lord from sorrows. Thank you, Troy. Deep I call, right? There are gonna be times where it's hard. We need to be encouraged. Encouragement is such an important thing to remember. So they encourage them, for we know, brothers, we know Christians loved by God. That's the first thing he, he does to remind them that they're believers. You're loved by God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this morning. You are loved by God. Now, I had to say, if you are a believer in Christ, because if you're outside of that, you don't have that brand new identity that gets to say, that gets to be encouraged, I'm loved by God. I have this love like no other that holds me, that is my salvation, that is my refuge in the storm, the one I can call out to. There is a love that God has for us. And then we see why. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, there's that chosen word. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were, were going to that, through that Puritan study, right? We remember on Wednesday nights, if you haven't come, please come. It is so cool to, to work back through church history, hear how these men just love and adored Christ. We want you there. We want you to be encouraged by those things. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we heard about this old dead guy, Perkins, and about how he was so obsessed with wanting to clarify in the 39 Articles that it wasn't about a works that would somehow make us pleasing to God for him to choose us. No, it was very clear that God chose us. And so, yeah, that's an old dead guy telling us that, and that's cool, but where is it in the Bible? We just read it. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So let's take a second. What is this word chosen, right? And maybe you've struggled with this question. Maybe um, you've said, okay, I believe in Jesus, but how do I know? How do I know I'm the elect? He's going to unpack that further for us. And so hang with me as we're going through these definitions. I think you will be encouraged. Okay, so that he has chosen you. The Greek here is ekloge. And that's a special choice, a selection, or here's that word, election. 
So if you're taking notes, it's a special choice. It's selection or election. And then especially in the context of 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, it is God's election of Christians. We see that in 2 Peter 1, 10, 2, being that very specific application of it. John Calvin again. If we're going to talk about election, we're going to have to talk about how John Calvin can help us here. He says, The apostles' very words tell us that the salvation of believers is based on God's good pleasure in election, and that His grace is not acquired by works, but comes to them from his unmerited goodness. It is because God is so good that he has chosen, chosen us, not because we are so good. But how can you know? How can you know you are the elect? And that's for you. Maybe you've struggled with this question. Maybe you are starting to feel that deep pit in your stomach now. How do I know? Well, guess what? That's what Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were anticipating. You're loved by God. He has chosen you. And then there's that beautiful word, because. Oh, thank God. We get to know why, right? We get to know why, and we have an answer from Scripture. Because the gospel came to you, not only in words. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Okay, so let's take a minute. We're going to have to define words, right? So what is the gospel? If you are visiting with us today, the gospel is just quite simply the good news. And why is there good news? Well, friend, it's because there's bad news. And the bad news is you and I are sinners. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you somehow think you're perfect, you're wrong. But if you somehow think you have never sinned, guess what? Even from the beginning there was sin. And because of that sin, we have inherited that sin from Adam, our first kind of um, federal head or the first person who represented humanity. He sinned. And because of that sin, we have all sinned. And then guess what? You have sinned. We know Romans that says all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, we see in Romans 3, really, this, this beautiful unpacking and really a hard one to read about how no one does good, all have fallen away. All of those things that Romans 3 will repeat about how we are sinners. So, how do we know? Oh, the gospel, right? So that's the bad news of the gospel. What, but what is the good news of the gospel? Right? Why is it good news? That sounded really bad. Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's it in a nutshell. That Jesus would come, that he would live that perfect life that you couldn't do, fulfilling uh, the law of God, doing it perfectly that you and I could never do, and then he would be placed on a cross where he would die for those sins that he never committed, and that there would be a transaction. There would be a substitution. That instead of you being feeling the wrath of God for your sin, Christ would take it. And then Christ, instead of being able to sit on that cross as being perfect and never have sinned, he takes your sin on your behalf and absorbs the wrath of God, which none of us could take, uh, and dies on that cross. He was buried, and in three days he was resurrected. And on that resurrection, he appeared to many. And then after a while, he ascended to the right hand of God where he mediates on our behalf, even now, even today, even this minute. And the gospel is, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you will be forgiven. That's it. That's all it is. 
it's good news because none of us could do this on our own behalf. So when Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy say, we know that you're elect, why do we know that you're elect? We know that you're elect because our gospel, what I just explained, came to you not only in word, meaning uh, it's just not like me talking here and you just hearing it and nothing happens. No, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. So if you're taking notes and you want to know, how do I know I have been delivered from sin? How do I know I'm in the elect? I want you to take note of this verse. I want you to see that the gospel comes in what? In power. There is a power that comes in the gospel. This Greek word dunamis, right? It's talking about power. It's talking about explosive change. It's talking about how a life is no longer the same. That words don't just come down and somehow you have mental knowledge and you just become so smart and you can recall all the things in the Bible, but there's a change in you. You are different. Something has happened, and that is the power of the gospel for salvation. But that's not it. No, you don't just get to, oh yeah, I have changed. No, there's a change because of something else. And that's because the Holy Spirit brings conviction. So if you're like, yeah, I'm saved. But you never know what you were saved from. Remember, the good news is good news, but you have to have good news because there's what? Bad news, right? We, we talked about the waves rolling over us and what we were singing. Friend, the good news is because you're in the middle of a tempest. You're in the middle of the ocean and the waves are crashing over you and you have nothing. You don't know where to go. You've got no boat that will save you. You're going to drown and die. And if you somehow think the good news is there was no storm, there was no sin, you just got saved and you didn't get saved from anything, I would say, I don't know if you know what you were saved from. When you have conviction of your sin, you realize, oh no. Oh no. I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I can't do this on my own. I can't swim out of this. Have you ever been in a rip current? Here I go with all my California talk, right? When you're in the ocean and you're just swimming along and all of a sudden you're like 100 yards away from the ocean or the beach and you're like, what just happened? That's not cool. And if you just swim in the same direction, guess what? You're going to keep further and further and further out. You got to actually swim at an angle uh, so you can break from that current uh, and get into it. That's kind of the thought of you trying to save yourself. I'll just swim really hard. Uh-oh, I'm even further than I was before. We see that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in power in the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. And not just any conviction, full conviction. Full conviction knowing you are, in a, you are a sinner and need of salvation. And friends, I just want you to hear this. If you have the Holy Spirit, he continues to bring conviction. If you sin, you should be feeling conviction. If you're not feeling conviction, I would say, don't allow your heart to become hard by the deceitfulness of sin. But ask the Lord to break your heart and feel that conviction. Okay, so we answer this question then. How do I know I'm of the elect? I was convicted of my sins, 
The Holy Spirit brought conviction of my sins. There was power in the gospel. It changed me. I believed. And once I did not believe, I believe now. I believe that Jesus did what he said he did. And I follow after him. There is a, a power to bring about the work of faith. There is a power to bring about the labor of love. And there is a power to bring about the steadfast hope that is in our Lord Jesus Christ who will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. But that's not all that happens. So I'm going to go over the end of this verse, but we'll get back to it, okay? And we're going to see not only the power of the gospel to bring conviction, but we're going to see the power of the gospel for imitation. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Oh, I love this. I get way too excited about imitation. Okay? And, and the reason why we can say and read that verse, and you became imitators of us, is because of what he just said. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So they imitated them. Well, what is imitation? Because imitation has fallen on hard times lately. We'd rather make our own way than follow somebody else. It's that idol of American trailblazing. I don't need to follow somebody else. I'm just going to do it myself. I got this. It's just me and my Bible, and nobody can tell me any different. Well, let's look at what imitation means. Imitation comes from the Greek word mimetes. That kind of sounds similar to an English word that we know, which means mimic. Now, if you're looking for other verses, there are plenty that talk about imitation. I'll give you a few. Write these down. I want you to go back. I want you to read them. 1 Thessalonians 2.14. 1 Thessalonians 2.14 in the very next chapter. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. Hebrews 6, 12. Hebrews 6, 12. Hebrews 13, 7. Ephesians 5, 1. There is imitation all over the New Testament and really all over the Old Testament. And that is actually the presupposition of the world that they were living in in the Old Testament. But, but let's define imitation. To reproduce someone's behavior or look. To emulate. To equal. Or to approach equality. To follow as a pattern, model, or example. Imitation is something that's so ridiculously basic in our lives. I remember when somebody told me for the first time that I fold my arms like my dad. I could not believe it. I freaked out. Me and my dad don't get to spend that much time together. And I'm like, you're crazy. And then me and my dad were standing next to each other and we did the, and I'm like, <gasps> you're right. I totally imitate my dad, right? And, and guess what? Your kids imitate you if you have kids. Uh, if you see my children, you'll see something like this. They're trying to do the eyebrow. They're not there yet, but they're working on it, right? So they're imitating their dad. Imitation is just a normal part of life. Why are we scared about imitation in the Christian life? Why is this a weird and novel concept for some reason? That imitation's not okay. Don't just copy somebody. Don't do that. That's weird. It's not. And it's very, very biblical. Just think about it for a second. Uh, in your own job, 
how did you learn how you do what you do? Okay, um, I have a friend uh, who will remain nameless, but now his heart is pumping. I told him he might be used in this sermon illustration. I didn't ask him. I hope he forgives me. But he was taking a course on how to fix computers. And uh, he, he learned, he was able to pass this course on how to fix computers online. And then came the day when his own computer broke. And he opened that bad boy up and he looked at it and said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I didn't watch anybody do this, like, with me to imitate, to, to fix this computer. I need help. I need somebody to help me, right? And, and that's what imitation is. It is somebody walking through something that, like that with you. In your job, you didn't just learn how to do the things that you do. You learned them because you didn't just learn it intellectually, but you learned it because you watched somebody. You watched them do it. You, you saw how they do it. If you're a mechanic, you didn't all of a sudden just open up your shop and say, I can fix that. Come on in. Because in about five minutes, people would say, you're crazy. I'm never giving you money again, right? But what usually happens is that you go to somebody and you work under them. Now, you might just be handing them a tool every once in a while, making them coffee, going and grabbing lunch. But over time, you keep handing them the same tool and then they say, hey, you get over here. Now hold this tool while I need to use this tool. And I'm going to tell you why I'm doing it. You start to watch. Oh, okay. And then you start to earn a little more responsibility in that. And then you start doing the tool as he's telling you what to do. And then after time, he might say, hey, now I want you to do this whole thing. I want you to fix this whole thing for me. And then you get to do it. And then he says, hey, man, you've done that enough in front of me where I'm saying you're good to go. Get out there, open your own shop, do the same thing, and then you continue and you continue. This is very similar in police work. Um, I didn't just go to the LAPD Academy, learn all these cool things about tactics and shooting and all that and the law, and then go out into the street and think that I could do everything. That was terrifying my first day on the job. And I remember multiple times where I had a training officer who now that I knew all these things was saying, look, rookie, just sit here and listen to me and please, oh please, don't get us killed, right? That was, that was pretty much it. And so I'm sitting there, my eyes wide open. Oh, wow, this is what it means to be a police officer. And then I got talked to. If you ever talk to a gang member like that again, we might lose our lives. Don't say, dear sir, please come over here so thou I, they, they, I might talk to you or whatever, right? It's like, you know, dude, you need to talk with some authority. You're a police officer. And so I was trained. And then after time, my training officer, officer would say, all right, well, let's go out there and now you do it and I'm gonna watch and I'll help you out. I'll be right here. And then I did it. And then after time, he said, okay, I'm not gonna do anything. You handle this whole call. And then I did. And then he said, you know what? You're good to go. Get out there. And then that was a whole different story. You get terrified when you have to do it all by yourself. But that's how you do it. And then you train somebody else. That's imitation. That's just normal life. So Paul is telling the church, we can tell that you are believers because you started to live life like we do. The things that we value, you've started to value. You started to emulate and imitate. Note, Friends, there was no discipleship course or program back in the apostles' day. They didn't come to a nice air-conditioned room and eat breakfast burritos. Um, not that that's bad, and we want you to come the next time we do that, too. But what they did was that they were watching how Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were living their lives. So classes aren't bad, but imitation happens by following someone. 
This is why your children can do a spot-on impersonation of you. Go ahead at lunch, ask your kids to impersonate you and see what happens and then tell us all about those embarrassing stories. But you didn't give your kids a class on how to live their life. You didn't make them do a fill in the blank. You didn't, well, you provided food for them, at least I hope you did. Um, but you didn't, you didn't provide this class, you just did it and they just learned. That is how this happens. That is how imitation You want to see how someone repents, okay? You don't want to just see how they can um, evangelize, although you want to see that too, but you want to see when they mess up, how do they repent to their wife? How do they repent to their husband? How do they repent to their parents? How do they repent to each other? You want to watch when someone gets hangry and cranky, You want to see how, even in that moment when their hair's down, don't make a comment, how they live their life. You want to see how they pray. You want to listen to the words that come out of their mouth when they go before the one true God of the universe. You do want to see how they evangelize. How do they explain the gospel to someone who's never heard it? You want to see how they write a sermon You want to see how they comfort the sick, how they comfort the dying. This is the imitation that was being done by the Thessalonians. This is what they were doing. This is what they were picking up from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Friend, I want you to hear this morning. This may be a long sermon. I want you to hear this morning. Do not be afraid to go to a person in this congregation and say, will you disciple me? I want to learn. Will you disciple me? Will you please let me just come to dinner once a month? Uh, Will you let me go to coffee with you in the mornings? Would you read the Bible with me? Would you do these simple tasks? Would you just pray with me for 30 minutes a day or 30 minutes a week or whatever? Would you do that with me and watch how they do it and then pick up on how they do it and then do it? And then here's the other side of that coin. If you're in this place, Would you not be scared to allow somebody to follow you for a minute? Would you not be scared to actually disciple somebody? And and I love you, and I love your humility, and I've heard it already. I'm not there. I'm not there yet. Yes, you are. You're able to find someone who's not as far as you and let them come alongside you and listen and watch. Don't be afraid of that. All right, so that's not all how the power of the gospel in imitation. Although that is imitation, that's how I want you to see it. But the imitation that the Thessalonian church was not only that, but they received the word of God in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? When they received the word of God, it wasn't in air conditioning. It was somewhere either in a, a, out in a public forum or it was in some sort of small apartment in Thessalonica. And they heard it. And, and again, we, we think of suffering. And yes, we, we're, we're certainly in an odd time for the church. We have, we have struggled in these last two years. There have been issues that have come up. Issues like masks or vaccines or what the government will tell us to do. And those should raise our awareness Friends, these people were being human torches at parties. 
These people were being fed to lions in a coliseum. And you know how they received the word? Not with bickering and backbiting. They received the word and joy of the Holy Spirit. They were so hungry to receive this word, to labor and love with one another. That's how they receive the word with joy that only the Holy Spirit can bring. In affliction. The Christian life won't always be easy, and friends, it usually isn't. Martin Luther, one of my heroes, says, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Why would we expect to wear a crown of roses? But the word is received, it is hungered for, and it produces joy. And this is what the Thessalonian church produced. This is how they could say, you are chosen, beloved by God. But that's not all. This imitation, this power of the gospel in imitation didn't just bring uh, them imitating Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy and how they lived their life. It didn't just bring them being able to uh, receive the word in affliction as they imitated them, but it did more. This imitation then grew and they became the example. You became an example to Macedonia and Achaia. This word example in the Greek is typos, which means to be like a stamp or replication. So I want you to notice the progression here of the Christian life. You hear the word, it comes in power and conviction. Once that power and conviction comes, it leads you to imitate uh, the word of God. It leads you to imitate Jesus. It leads you to imitate uh, those around you who are following Jesus. And then it makes you an example it doesn't just stop with continuing to consume, consume, and consume, and grow. It makes you the stamp of Jesus. And they became the example to others to follow Christ. It's like when the pupil becomes the master. I gotta be careful because I just wanna go full Star Wars here and I'm gonna hold myself back because I don't want you to become a Darth Vader to an Obi-Wan. I would rather it be a better discipling than that, okay? I want you to be discipled by somebody and then I want you to go out and make more disciples. I want you to be the example. I want you not to just to be the example here. I want you to be the example to the ends of the earth. This is how imitation works in jobs. This is how imitation works in life. And this is how imitation works in Christianity. The Thessalonians reached a people not even in their own area. We're going to get a little more to this in a second because it gets really cool and I'm really stoked. But they became a, a, an example to people who were as far as a two-week journey on foot on a good, on a good traveling two weeks however you want to say that. Uh, so that was like the most uh, perfect two-week travel to get down to Achaia from Thessalonica. Here's my cool um, uh, map for you to see. Boom. It's like they were way up here and Achaia was way down here, okay? And that took two weeks across my hand to get there. And so they, uh, their example started to what? Sound forth. Their example was the power of the gospel Remember who this, this, this letter is written to. It's written to the church. It is the power of the gospel in the church 
to sound forth. Because the word of the Lord sounded forth to the believers in Macedonia and in Nicaea. Okay, so not only are they an example, but their word sounded forth. Okay, and when we hear the word of the Lord, I just want you to, to notice that this is another way that the New Testament writers say the gospel. So when you read that, they're saying the gospel of Jesus Christ sounded forth to a two-way journey all the way down to Achaia. Which means that the Thessalonian church was sounding the gospel to surrounding cities, which would be Macedonia in that time, back to the hand map, Macedonia, and then Achaia. That was like a totally different place, okay? We see that them as a church were sounding forth the gospel to the surrounding area and continuing on. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does here, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. What Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy do here. They say you became an example to believers in Macedonia and Achaia because again, Paul and Sylvanus, Timothy, go there, right? This is part of their missionary journey. They go there and they said that for not only has the word sounded forth to you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report to us the kind of reception that we had among you. This is getting to be really cool. So on this missionary journey that they went to, after leaving Thessalonica, it took them quite a time to write back to the Thessalonians. And when they got to Macedonia and Achaia and the places that they wanted to share the gospel, they were saying, you already did it. So imagine, you go up, this is, this is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. They knock on the door, they open it. Let me tell you, you must be Paul. What? You must be Paul. I heard about you. The, the Thessalonian church, they came and they told us about you. They told us that you came to them and that you told them the gospel. And what happened to them was that they turned from those idols that are all over the place around here and they served the living and true God. And in that, they believed in this man named Jesus who rose from the dead. And this man named Jesus who's going to save us from the wrath to come. They were able to hear the gospel that they were coming to preach to a different place from a person or from a group that had already been planted by them that beat them to it. That's awesome. Guys, this should get you pumped. Like this is what our church is about. They weren't only imitating Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy in their local community. They weren't just being this beautiful aroma to the community around them. But yes, the church is evangelistic. It goes. The church doesn't just stay. It goes. The church in Thessalonica didn't just stay in Thessalonica. They weren't just active and or they were active in proclaiming the gospel throughout the region. Listen, they weren't just like a flash of light, but they were like a thunderclap that resounded to all the communities 
I hope I ruin thunder for you. I hope every time you get freaked out by thunder, you think, this is the gospel. I need to tell somebody. I need to resound forth. If the power of the gospel came in the Holy Spirit and full conviction, I can't just stay where I'm at. I've got to tell other people. If I don't tell other people in my workplace, in my school, even in my family, or in other parts of the city, or in different cities, or in different countries, or wherever it may be, why am I not convicted that this message is true? Because it comes in power. And we are called to be a thunderclap of the gospel. This is the fruit and power of the gospel in a church who is committed to sounding forth the truths that they learn. You can come here and just be the learner, just be the imitator, but that's not what God calls you to. He calls you to then be the typos, the example. Then he calls not just singularly, but corporately, to go. All right, and finally, the imitation is complete because we see that the people that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were going to meet actually were able to explain the gospel. Notice that for a minute. Notice how Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy explain it. They said, they knew how we talked to you, and here's the message. It's like telephone. You guys have played telephone. You do that, and it's silly. I played it once in care group with the kids, and it was wild. It was like boogers by the end of it, and it began with, I don't even know what it was, but it was, it was just terrible, right? It, didn't, it just was total chaos by the end. And so sometimes you could be afraid that this may be what happens, but God brings the gospel and power and conviction. And so we can trust God that the word that comes from us, that is from the Bible, will be able to resound forth. And this is what Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy say. This was the message that we heard from them about ourselves, that you were able to clearly define the gospel to them. And here's how. Here was their testimony, that they turned from idols to serve the true and living God. So even in there, we're seeing there's a distinction between idols and the one true God that they are waiting for the Son from heaven, whose name is Jesus, okay? They're seeing that Jesus Christ is a real person, that's his name, and he is in heaven mediating on our behalf, whom God raised from the dead, okay? So Jesus died, and then he was resurrected, and now he's in heaven, who delivers us from the wrath of God to come. He is going to come back. He is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. And really, if we're thinking about this, in the end, he delivers us from God's just judgment. Friends, that's awesome. I, I pray to God. I pray to God that we encounter this as Grace Covenant Church. I pray that we would go somewhere and someone would say, Oh yeah, I've heard about Grace Covenant Church. Ralph and Maureen told us about you guys over at Grace Covenant Church in, in, in Gunnison, Colorado. And they told us what the gospel was and we love it. And we're telling other people in that area about it. I hope that Grace Community Church in Glen Rose hears that. 
I hope they hear, oh, yeah, yeah, we heard the gospel because there's this church in Weatherford called Grace Covenant Church, and they told us about you and how you planted them in Weatherford. You see the progression of church planting that happens, and the progression not only in the imitation of one-to-one, but imitation from church to church. God didn't just give us this letter, friends, from the Thessal or from Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the Thessalonians, so we could say, "Wow, what a cool church! I can learn so much from that." God gave us this letter, so we, as a church, could imitate the Thessalonian church and how they followed Christ. This is not individual. This is corporate. So, friends, here's my question. Are we imitating the Thessalonian church? So in summary, we see that the gospel comes in power through the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to those that hear it. When people believe, their lives change. They have faith that leads to work. They have a labor of love for the people that they are around. They have a steadfast hope in Jesus who will return. They begin to imitate those that are around them who love Jesus. In time, they become a typos, an example of how to live the Christian life. And then they sound forth the gospel. So let me make three observations in conclusion. First one. If you are not in Christ, I want you to hear this morning that the gospel has the power to save you from the coming wrath of God. Because, friend, it is coming. God will not tarry forever. Your eternal soul is at stake this very morning. This is the morning to put your faith in Christ and repent of your sin. This is the morning to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to bring conviction to your soul that you are so in desperate need of and for him to save you. Put your faith in him. Turn from the idols of this world to the living and true God. If you want more info about that, ask somebody sitting next to you. Find me after service. I'll be standing up here or I might be by the back door. I want to talk to you about it. I long to talk to you about it. Secondly, I want you to see the progression of the Christian life. The, 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 progression. the progression of discipleship. Don't neglect the powerful aid of imitation. It is available in the seat next to you. It is available in the seat in front of you. It is available in the seat behind you. It is, it is available in all the seats around you. Don't be proud. Be humble. Seek someone out for imitation. And once you've started this beautiful process, this biblical process, don't be afraid to be a typos, an example from someone else to learn from and imitate. And lastly, lastly, as a church, I want us to see what the church in Thessalonica did. They weren't just a flash of power in that one area, but they were a thunderclap that sounded forth to the places around them. They were a church that preached the gospel near and far. Friends, Grace Covenant Church is a special place. I don't say that because I'm a pastor here. Well, actually, I do say that because I'm a pastor here, but that's not the only reason why I say that. 
It's because I wasn't always a pastor here. And I came here with my wife and, and my two boys at the, at the time. And we heard the powerful word being proclaimed, just plainly proclaimed from the pulpit. And we were discipled by the week in, week out faithfulness that the Lord had given to Joel to expound the word of God. I'm so thankful for our dear brother. I love our dear brother and what he has done week in and week out to feed us and feed us he has and feed us he will continue to do. But it's a special place because there was so much growth in my family. Courtney and I frequently go back to saying this was the most discipleship we have ever received. This was the most growth we ever received in our entire Christian life was in this place and in this time. It is a special place. I have seen growth in you. I have walked and labored among you. And I have seen how the Holy Spirit has brought you grow spiritually. We see that this is a special place. But we see the example of the church in Thessalonica. Will Grace Covenant Church be a flash of light here in this place or will we sound forth? Oh, that the Lord would continue to use Grace Covenant Church to continue to sound forth the gospel. That the sound of the gospel would be heard all throughout Parker County, all throughout the cities surrounding this place, all throughout the mountains of Gunnison, Colorado, and finally to the ends of the earth. Friends, Grace Covenant Church is not done. We must be obedient to the word of God. We must understand the power that comes in the gospel and the full conviction, and we must be willing. Let's pray. Oh God, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, I am so thankful that your word sounds forth, that you use vessels like your church to go to places and sound forth. As we heard Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy plant this church, and then how this church turned around and planted other churches, and how the gospel began to grow and to flourish and how Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy would say, we don't even have to do anything because the gospel is already going out through the people who are imitating us. Father, would we have that conviction from the Holy Spirit? Would we see his power? Would we trust in his power? Would we know that our life is not about comfort, but it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and wherever that takes us? Oh God, I pray for these people. Whatever burning you're putting in their heart in this moment, Whatever calling you have on their lives, wherever that they are to go, would they be obedient to Jesus Christ? Would they be obedient to the power and conviction that is in the Holy Spirit? God, we need your help. God, use us as a church. Use us individually. Use us to proclaim the only one who can bring salvation for souls. God, make us hungry to make us this, to make this our mission. Bring conviction, Father. Bring conviction, Holy Spirit, to our hearts. May we cherish the word. May we cherish our Jesus. And we pray this in his name.